welcome to the monthly Skill Bites show, where we share information that is geared to helping you succeed in your business. This is Judy Weintraub, CEO of Skill Bites and host of this show. If you want to position yourself as an expert, one of the best ways to do that is to become a published author. Skill Bites author platform provides the easiest way to get a book written and published. I am delighted to have with us Denise Hedges. Denise is a business development coach and a speaker coach with over 30 years experience in sales and marketing. Speaking is one of the best and fastest ways to grow a business. But how do you get started? How do you learn to navigate all the ins and outs of this powerful strategy? Barbara Rowan. Denise Hedges will give you the inside scoop and everything you need to know to successfully market your business through speaking. Denise, we're so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm very, very pleased to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved becoming a speaking coach? Sure. I'd love to tell you. It is literally 14 years this month since I built my practice. And when I left that safe, good-paying job to build a practice full-time as a coach, I didn't know whether or not I was going to make it. I just had a handful of clients paying me a total of $1,000 a month. And you know as well as I do, Judy, that's just not going to cut it. And I knew I had a year or less to build a full practice and replace those incomes, that income and those benefits that I just walked away from. And yet, part of me is really scared. Part of me thinks I might have been the biggest mistake of my life. And yet the other part of me knows that this is my purpose. This is my passion. This is why God put me on this earth, right? And I'm here to make it work. I'm here for not only me to make it work, but for also for the people I'm here to serve. And like a lot of new coaches and consultants and business owners, I struggled at first really spending way too much time on a lot of passive marketing strategies, forcing myself to do things that really, they weren't in my sweet spot. But then I got strategic. My background was in sales and marketing. So I took what I knew from other industries and started to apply it to building a coaching practice. And that's when I started speaking. And I started out pretty small. I spoke to local groups and chapters of organizations within an hour or so of my home. And yet, just using that strategy of speaking, I built a full practice, replacing all my income and benefits in just under a year. Wow. How many speaking engagements were you involved in for that year? I do an average, and probably also in that first year, I average somewhere between one to two speaking engagements a year, a month. So I tell people my, my sweet spot is 1.5, and what that means is one month I'll do one, another month two, that kind of thing, because if I average two speaking engagements a month, I find that's too much. So we're talking somewhere around 15 to 20 speaking engagements a year. Mm-hmm. Some of the groups as small as six, and then to more than a thousand. Wow, that's great. Why is it, do you think, that speaking is such a powerful strategy? 
Well, look at it this way. Here you have a group of people gathered who are there to hear you, right? They came because there was something about that topic that interested them or inspired them. And if you do a good job, if you give them solid value, then what's going on is that they see you automatically as an expert. So you're really given expert status just by virtue of being in front of the room as long as you do a good job, right? Right. Then you have the whole area of leverage. So lots of other marketing strategies have the potential of bringing in you, bringing in one or two clients or customers at a time. Speaking has the opportunity to bring in you in multitudes, okay? Three, four, five, six clients at a time, okay? I have generated 13 clients in either individual coaching or group coaching, a combination of both, from one hour speaking engagement. There's no other strategy, Judy, that has that kind of power. Yeah, that's, that's great. 13 from just one presentation. How many were in the audience? 35. Now, those are pretty expansive numbers. It's not always that way. But let, I want to give our listeners kind of an average of what they can expect if they're a new speaker, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe they're experienced in their craft, but they're new to speaking and they're new to making an offer from the stage. Because we're going to talk about that at some point, I'm sure, is how to make an offer for your services. So let's say, hypothetically, that you're talking to an average room of about 40 people. If you make the offer like I teach it, you can expect somewhere between 10 to 20% of that room to sign up for a complimentary consultation of some sort whether it's a complimentary coaching session, a consultation, a sampling of what you do. Mm-hmm. If you do that complimentary consultation in the way that I teach, because I can't really guarantee your results any other way, somewhere around 50% of those folks will become new clients or customers. So in your room of 40, what that means is that you just created two to four new clients. Now, I'm going to use the area of coaching because that's the easiest for me to give you real tangible numbers. Mm -hmm. So in coaching, the average person stays with their coach about six months. And an average might be somewhere around $500 a month for coaching. Okay? So what that means is those two to four new clients just generated for you somewhere between $5,000 and $10,000. That's with wow, the average coach gets five hundred dollars a month. I um, think pretty much, yeah. That's wow. a, it's not a brand new coach, okay. But absolutely, that's a realistic number. Okay. Question, concern about that? Well, I I guess um, the coaches that I've worked with tend to be. Smaller than that. Well, even take, say you're getting $300 a month, Mm -hmm. okay? That's probably somewhere where my, what I call my new younger coaches are getting, right? $300 Mm -hmm. a month. To $300 a month times six months, 
times two to four clients, that's still a pretty significant number. Right. Yeah, it's very nice. Especially when you figure it's just one hour speaking engagement. Exactly. You've got your travel time. You've got your prep time, of course, because you've got to be doing a good job. Right. But we are talking about, can you go to a networking meeting? Can you sit and have coffee with somebody? Can you even send out a social media post and get that kind of return? Mm -mm. Speaking's the most powerful strategy in generating things like that. Take us through, I mean, in addition to the prep time and stuff, you have to get to speaking engagement. So take us through the a process that you suggest for people to get speaking engagements. Right, because that's a critical piece, because a lot of people just don't know how to go about it, right? Mm -hmm. And so they need a system, a process. So the first thing, Judy, is you've got to have an absolutely clear target market. If you don't have a clear target market, who are you going to be speaking to? You have to know who you're meant to serve, no matter what industry, whatever your business is. That's got to be clear. Okay? Mm -hmm. So let's say in this case, your target market are women business owners. Okay? What we're going to do is we're going to use Google. Simple, easy, free. Where you're going to use Google is a way to go out and search out those groups of women business owners. And within your search box, you're going to put three different terms. You're going to Google in women business owner associations, women business owner organizations, women business owners groups. Now, I know that sounds silly, but the change of that name, that word at the end, will generate different groups, okay? Okay. First, you're going to put those terms in by themselves. Then you're going to modify them by city and state. Look at how far you're willing to travel. I live in a very small town in North Carolina. I tell people I live in Mayberry, okay? <laughs> and so I needed to travel. I needed to expand my reach and be willing to travel, say, three hours within that whole radius, because what I could do is I could travel to speak, do a lunch or dinner meeting, travel home, do it all within a day. Okay, so take your search terms and modify them um. by city and state. Okay? Uh -huh. Then change up your search words. You might put in women in business or small business owners or women entrepreneurs or maybe business and professional women's associations. As you're searching through there, you're going to pull up lots of different groups that meet in the geographic area that you've described, okay? Uh -huh. Now, you got to capture all that information in some kind of database or spreadsheet. You want to capture the name of the group, the location of the group, of course, their website. And who you're looking for, Judy, is either the program chair, the speaker chair, or sometimes they're called the education chair. You can pretty much go on any group's website, look at their leadership team or their board of directors, and you will be able to find the person who books the speakers. It's pretty easy. And most of the time, they'll give you that person's email address. But you want their phone number. You want that 
first contact to be by phone. Because what do you do when you get an email kind of like soliciting something from you from somebody you don't know? Probably um, ignore it or flag it to get back to later and sometimes you get back to it, sometimes you don't. And sometimes you don't, right? So if you don't delete it right away, you flag it for later and then there's a chance you might get back to it. So that's why we want your first contact with that person to be by phone. And in our internet world, it is so easy to find people's phone numbers. It's almost scary. It's so easy, okay? So in that spreadsheet, as you're coming up with your groups, I want you to come up with a, a list of 20 to 25 groups to speak to. You're making sure you have that contact name and email, phone number, any miscellaneous information you found out about the group, how often they meet, what their mission is, what kind of people are in their audience, who their members are. And also in that spreadsheet or database, you want to keep a detailed note list of your contact with people. Okay? When you've contacted them, what they've said, what those conversations are going to be, have been about, how you're going to follow up. Okay. So I know that's a lot of information. What questions do you have about that process? Uh, so far, so good. Um, you, you identify who the people are you need to reach out to, and you do some more digging on the Internet, LinkedIn, or whatever to find out a phone number, and then you reach out to them, uh, and how do you proceed from there? Okay, good. Let's talk a little bit about what you have to do before you reach out to them. Okay. Okay, because you really want to be prepared for, their, for that outreach. Okay. So a couple things you need to be ready with. You need to have a clear elevator speech or what I call a positioning speech. Some people call it a USP. But you want to be clear on who your target market is and what benefits they get from working with you because that's one of the ways you're going to introduce yourself. And so many business owners that I work with aren't clear on that, okay? Okay. So you want to have that done. The other thing you want are two signature speeches. So you want to have two speeches with compelling titles that seem a bit different from each other. They don't, you don't want them to sound alike. If they sound alike, your program person is going to be confused by the two of them, Okay. And right. you want to have written a promotional description of each of them because you're going to need to speak that in the call when you're reaching out to them by phone. And most of the time they're going to say, send me something. And that's also the thing you want to be able to send them in your follow-up email. Okay. Okay. So two really good speech descriptions that are written in what I call marketing speak with great titles a one or two paragraph description which describes the problem that that person in the audience might face and the solution you bring with three to five bullets or takeaways of what they'll get from your presentation. You need to have those things ready before you pick up the phone. Okay. Yep. Okay. Then you're ready to pick up the phone, right? Uh, maybe. Maybe. There may be some other things that you ought to have beforehand. 
in case they want your bio or a headshot or things like that? Yep. Typically, they ask for that kind of information after there's some interest in you speaking. But yes, you want to have a bio or a headshot ready, it, clearly. We can talk later about the need for a speaker's one sheet, which would include those materials. And you want to have a follow-up email either ready or, guess what, the minute somebody says, send me something, <laughs> you're going to have that ready. The thing you most want to be ready for is what are you going to say to them on that call? Okay? So you don't right. want a script in front of you, but you absolutely want to have some talking points so that you're clear, you're succinct, and you're really thinking about and most interested in what's of interest to them. Right. So what are some of those talking points that would be a good thing to, to have? Well, here's what I do. The first thing I do is I introduce myself by asking them about their group, okay? So I'm calling about Navo Atlanta. The reason why I do that is because most of these people in these roles are volunteers for their organization. They're the program chair, they're booking the speakers, and they're typically a volunteer, unless you're talking in the conference world. Okay? And then you might have somebody who's in a paid position. So if you put the name of the group first, and they will be interested. Oh, she's interested in our group. She might even be interested in membership. So we're piquing their interest via that versus by saying, hey, I'm a professional speaker, blah, 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 blah. Okay? So the first thing is say something about their group, know about their group, and let them know that you're interested in their group. Then, okay. your next talking point will be to introduce yourself using your positioning statement. So, I'm a professional coach and a speaker, and where I focus is on women in business, and I help them to attract more clients, make more money in a way that they're comfortable and confident with. So, I'm telling them specifically where my expertise is. Then I'm letting them know that I have two signature speeches. I could speak on this or I could speak on that. Would you like to know more about that? Right? And when most of the time they say, yeah, tell me a bit, then you're going to take that promotional description that you've written and you're going to give them one sentence about each of those speeches. So this one's about this, this one's about this. And then you ask them which one of these would be of the greatest interest to your group. Notice that I use what's called in sales an assumptive close here. Not would you be interested or would they be interested, but which one. Okay. Throughout their ta those talking points, what your job is really is to find out about their group, find out what they want and need, what they're looking for, and answer their basic questions. Right, make it about them, not you. Exactly. You want to be sure, Judy, too, that the other thing you do is after you found out about them, answered their basic questions, and you have a sense of their level of interest in you, 
Then you want to take a few moments to find out if they fit your criteria. You want to make sure that this group really is the right target for you to be speaking to, that the group is robust enough, that they're not a dying group, that they only have five members, but they have instead a robust membership. So you don't want to assume with every group that they're the group for you because you're trying to find your matches. Right. I would have thought you could do at least some of that before you decide to call them. Absolutely. So that's what you're doing when I told you to go on their website and do some research. Mm -hmm. And what we found is what you see on their website isn't always, right, what you hear when you talk to them on the phone. Okay. And the thing that varies the most is how large the group is. So on their website or even in a phone call, they may promise you, oh, yeah, we've got 50 people showing up for meetings. But you want to dig a little bit further in a kind but um, a kind but yet firm way, firm being a little bit too strong, of, well, how many members, how many people were at your last meeting last month? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So even though you've done some initial research, you really want to dig into, you know, do they really fit your criteria? Let me give you an example. One of When I had a business partner, she her target market was lawyers. Our speaking and tour manager found a nice, robust group of lawyers. And in her interviewing of that group, she didn't ask all the right questions. And when she got there, the average age of the group was 75. Hmm. There were three people over 90. Okay? Oh, my. Just in that, that made them not her target market. So you, you're not saying, like, well, how old are your people? But you still want to talk and determine if they fit your criteria as well. Okay. So you've had your interview with the group, and you have determined that they're a good fit for you. Um, what's the next step? and they seem interested in you, and most of the time what they're going to say now is send me something, okay? So you want to either have prepared ahead of time or prepare now a follow-up email, and you want it to be by email, not snail mail, okay? And you want to send that email within 24 to 48 hours. And within that email, you're going to reintroduce yourself, it was a pleasure to talk with you today. Something you can mention from your conversation. You reintroduce yourself using your elevator speech or your positioning statement. And you include in that email your two promotional descriptions of your speeches. Okay? I can speak on this area or this area, and I tailor my presentations to the needs of the group. If they were more interested in one versus the other, obviously you put that one first. If you have testimonials around your speaking, it's going to be critically important to keep put those testimonials within that email. So we include two, three testimonials of what other groups like their group have said about my speaking. So if I'm speaking to coaches, I've got testimonials from ICF coaching groups. If I'm speaking to business owners, I have those kinds of testimonials. And what I found when I was booking my speaking engagements and what my speaking and tour manager tells me now is those testimonials are like gold. 
So if you're just starting out and you don't have any, ask any place that you speak to that if you do a good job, would they provide that for you? Okay, so that's going to be important for you to have down the road. You might include a link to your website. You might include or attach your speaker's one sheet, which we can talk about in a minute if you have one. But if you don't have one, the email is the most important thing. If you're a published author, right? Remember, being a published author really helps you to get those speaking engagements. Make sure you tell them that. Send them a link to your book on Amazon or whatever you can do to promote, you know, any way to promote that book, right? Right? And then, of course, tell them when you're going to follow up with them. And that was something you should have had to know in the conversation, right? So when should I give you a call back? Well, we're going to talk to our board of directors about this. I'll present this in a week or so. Why not give me a call back in two weeks? So wrap it up with that. Make sure, and I know you know this, as a writer and an editor, make sure there are no errors in that email, okay? That your grammar, your punctuation, your spelling, that it, this is your professional photograph, so to speak. This is their first impression of you, and you want to make sure that it's good. Absolutely. Same with uh, <laughs> if you have a book, you don't want to have any errors in your book either because you're... A lot of people are using their book to enhance their credibility, and goodness, if you have errors in it, then it's not going to enhance it. It's going to diminish it. Absolutely. I had one speaking engagement a few years ago. I was meeting with the program chair. We had dinner the night before the presentation, and she said to me, do you know how many people have are interested in speaking to our group. And I'm like, no, I, I'd really love to know. And she said, well, I have eight phone calls just today. And she said, would you like to know why I chose you? And now I'm really interested, right? Right. And she said, it's because of the professionalism and polish of your materials. So let's talk about a speaker's one sheet for a second. Okay. Is that good? So a one sheet is something very specific to the speaking industry. That's where it started. It is one sheet. It's also called a speaker's one page. One piece of paper. It can be two-sided. It doesn't have to be one-sided, okay? And it has to be something that's really polished and graphically interesting. You don't want something that looks like you made it on your printer, your own printer and you're not a graphic designer, okay? So you want it to be really punchy, polished, well-presented. It should include your branding, your logo. It should have a good headshot, like you mentioned before. You want a bio, of course. And that bio should be tailored to speaking. You want your two promotional descriptions of the two speeches, right? Of course, that would make sense. And it certainly needs to have a call to action and your contact information, to book Denise today. This, for more information or to schedule Denise for your group, here's my contact information. When you've spoken more, you'll include testimonials. This is typically what goes on the second side, the second page. You'll include some testimonials, and you want from program chairs, from people who are just in the audience, 
You might even, even want a, a partial client list of groups you've spoken to. So you don't have to have a speaker's one sheet or certainly not a press kit starting out. It's very helpful if you want to speak at conferences, regional conferences, national events to have that. But just starting out in your local area, like I said, if you're speaking within two to three hours of your home with groups and organizations to meet there, the follow-up email is typically enough, and then the one sheet is the next step. Okay. Talk a little bit about what kind of fee to ask for. There's an awful lot of groups out there that you can speak to for free, but if you want to charge a fee, how do you know what fee to charge, and how do you bring that up? Great. So may I first talk about speaking for free and then address your question? Sure. Okay. A lot of people say to me, Denise, I don't want to speak for free. And I'm like, me either. It just depends on whether you're going to get your fee up front for the speaking engagement or whether you're going to be paid on the back end with clients and opportunities coming your way. Okay? I've been paid in clients and opportunities more than $100,000 from one speaking engagement. Now, they didn't cut me a check for $100,000, but when I add up the client and the speaking engagements and the clients that came from those speaking engagements from one 45-hour-and-a-half talk, okay, it's enormous, the amount of your response. So I want everybody listening to the call to not forget that you can get larger fees on the back end if you have a service or even a product, but a service most likely to offer where people will be likely to pay for your services because you've done a good job speaking. So the back end is really, really important because that's where you get the biggest speaking fees. Does that make sense, Judy? Uh, that does, definitely. Now, there are people that say, yes, but still, how do I go out and get a fee? I want to be paid for speaking. So, right, because you want to try to get a fee and the opportunity for the clients. Right. And that fee might be if you're going to have the opportunity. If I had a choice between a fee and the opportunity for clients, if it's my right group, I'm going to pick the opportunity for clients. Okay? Oftentimes, they'll, if nothing else, they'll pay your expenses to speak. Right? So they'll pay my flight expenses, hotel, that kind of thing. But let's say you really want a speaker's fee. Most of the time, if they don't have a budget for speakers, guess what? They're going to tell you right out of the gate. When you say you ask some questions about how they book speakers, what they're interested in, they'll just blurt out to you, we don't have pay speakers. Okay. So what I will do in that case is let them know that I will take a certain number of pro bono speaking engagements in a year if that group is a good match for me and I feel like I can serve them. So. If they do have a budget for speakers, they're typically going to come out and ask you, what are your fees? And here's what you want to do. I've done this for more than a dozen years, and it works. You say to them, I want to be respectful of your budget. I know you don't have a huge budget for speakers. Can you give me a sense of what your speakers' fees range? And so we can see whether or not 
that would be a good match. I may sometimes have to ask twice, but they always tell me what their budget is. So sometimes I'm grappling with, mm, should I charge a $1,000 fee, $2,000 fee? You know, what's, where should I be? Where should I land? I ask the question, and I've had people say, we can't pay you a penny more than $5,000. Okay, I'm glad I asked. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, it's critically important if they say their budget's $1,000 or $5,000 that you don't turn around and say, okay, my speaker fee is $5,000. That's tacky, right? So if somebody says, my budget's $1,000, that's what we can afford to pay a speaker, I want you to have money left over to be able to promote the event well. So then you would give them a speaker fee of $750 to maybe $800. So always ask what their budget is and know that I've never had somebody not tell me. Okay, yeah, I've heard um, others do it a little bit differently in that um, if they find somebody who says um, we don't pay more than five thousand, they'll say something like, "My normal speaking fee is twelve thousand. However, I really like your group, or something along those lines, and I would be willing to do maybe a one hour instead of a three hour for the five thousand or something like that." But to anchor in that you're giving them a break because your normal fee is higher. And I think you certainly can do it that way. It will depend on your level of confidence. It will depend on how much speaking you've done. And it will mostly depend on whether or not that feels authentic to you. Right. For some of us, I probably would not do that because to say my normal fee is 12, but I'll do it for five, it sounds kind of like a tactic to me. But if it works for you and it's authentic, you being anybody out there listening in the audience, then go for it. Is there a way to tell in advance or to find out what the likelihood is that a group is going to be paying? Um, they might say on their website, but typically you're going to have to ask that question in a conversation. Okay. And again, remember we're putting in a lot of emphasis on groups that pay for speaking, but if you want to be out there generating clients and customers from speaking, that's what my system is best tuned for, and or you want to sell your books and generate clients and customers, right? There's so much more money to be made uh, at the back end than the front end. Yeah, with regard to selling books, I've had some of my clients get speaking engagements where they're not being paid, but the event coordinator finds them a sponsor who will buy copies of their book for the audience attendees. Uh, so they, they may sell 100 copies of their book at a discounted price to the sponsor in exchange for the sponsor being able to um, give the book out and to get that promotion at the in event. general goodwill for giving the right. book out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's another great way to do it. 
and and that even if you're not making a whole heck of a lot from the book, the fact that your book is now in the hands of all those additional people can really help drive more people to you and they're going to read your book. They may even invite you to speak to their group. Exactly. Once you have landed a speaking engagement, when should you have an agreement? Is it, a, is it okay to just have a verbal or are there certain circumstances where you really ought to have something in writing? I really believe that you almost always, underline always, need to have something in writing. You're going to spend a lot of time crafting a speech, even if you've done the speech before, practicing a speech, setting aside time for travel, that kind of thing. And you want to make sure that that engagement holds. Okay? Remember, I've been doing this for 13, 14 years, and I've had all kinds of things happen. I would never go with just a verbal agreement. Now, if it's in a, a travel, travel where I'm only going to be driving from my home, then something done verbal, uh, written over email, okay, so we're confirming this, this, and this, over email works fine. If I am flying to a speaking engagement, I'm going to want a letter of agreement. And in fact, I will put in my letter of agreement if this event is canceled for any reason other than act of God, then the group will reimburse me for any travel expenses that I can't get a refund for. And that's in there because, believe it or not, it's happened. I've had people cancel speaking engagements the night before I'm supposed to leave. I had one time where I traveled to Philadelphia and then went from Philadelphia to the New England area, and then I was coming home from there. Well, the night before I was leaving for Philly, the New England group canceled. It was more expensive for me to try to change my flight to come home straight from Philly. So what I ended up having to do was fly to the New England area, I think it was around Boston somewhere, spend my couple of days there, work from my hotel room, right? and come home because it the, the logistics were already done. Luckily, because it was in writing, that was taken care of. That was paid for. So, yes, I would strongly recommend you get everything in writing, including your ability to offer something from the stage, whether it's a complimentary consultation, which is what I recommend, and or your product, your book. Now, we've talked a lot about getting the the uh, the offer, getting the the speaking gig. How about do you have some tips to offer on being really effective as a speaker? Your presentation itself. Absolutely. What I want to give you here are what I call the six most critical elements. That if you do this, you're gonna be three-quarters of the way there. The rest, we'd really have to work on with your presence in front of the room. But let me give you the most important elements to have you be a great speaker. Number one, you've got to focus on the audience needs and wants. You want to know that audience. 
what's in it for them. What do they need? What do they want? What are they struggling with? And you want to craft a great presentation, really giving them value around that specific area of what they need. Okay, so focus on their needs and wants. Secondly, you've got to connect with the audience on a personal level. You want to be real. You want to be genuine. You want to be yourself. When we teach our speakers boot camps, when we have speakers come here and spend a two-day weekend with us, what we find is so many of them have kind of a filter in place of what a speaker should look like from the front of the room. And so what they end up being is what they think they should be instead of themselves. And it's like Michelangelo, we got to chip away to get at the David underneath because we really want you to be able to connect with that audience on a personal and even vulnerable level. That's just so critical. Now, your first impression is critical to your success, right? You never have the opportunity to make a first impression again. Studies show you have somewhere between 10 seconds to two minutes to make that first impression with that audience, to get them to like you, trust you, and even listen to you. So your introduction to your presentation, the first two to three minutes, I'm calling your introduction, not when somebody's introducing you, but your, how you start is critically important. And we tell people most of the time, what you've got to do is catch their attention and generate interest right out of the gate, okay? And the best way to do that is with some kind of story. It doesn't have to be a story, but it is the best way, okay? Uh -huh. So catch their attention, generate interest. No throwaway lines. Nothing like, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. No. None of the, you know, just what I call throw, start right in powerfully. I want to start by telling you a story. Catch their interest. At the same time, you're creating a favorable impression in their minds. And through the use of your story, you're establishing your credibility. You're not going to give them a boring old list of credentials. Let the person who introduces you do that, okay? But through your presentation, establish your cred credibility. Like one of the things I say in my story is I have generated more than a million dollars in coaching income directly from speaking. That establishes my credibility and it catches their attention. So your introduction has to do, that first two to three minutes has to do those three intangible things, attention, interest, favorable impression, and establish your credibility. It also has to do three tangible things. You need to clearly state your objective. Why are you here today? And preview your main points. And then you also need to know that, let the audience know when and how you'll take questions. If you see a speaker up there, and we've all seen them, where it's like, where is this person going? What is this really about? Is really because they don't have good segues, and they haven't told you what their objective is, and they haven't told you their main points. First, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. That's what you got to do in that first two to three minutes. The powerful two to three minutes to do six major important things. Yes. Then in the body of your speech, be sure you use plenty of stories and examples. People love stories. And that's how we best learn. Okay? So use stories. And then make sure you keep your message simple and focused. 
Remember in those promotional descriptions, I talked about having three to five main points, three to five bullets or takeaways. In a presentation, you don't want more than three to five main points. The audience capacity to take in more than that is, even, is limited. Even if you have more time, don't give them more main points. Go deeper into the, that subject matter. Go deeper rather than wider. If you do those things and then you make a great segue from the body of your speech to your offer, you'll be most of the way there. Great. That's great information. Thanks. What are some of the challenges that you've run into that maybe somebody who's starting out could learn some things to avoid or things to do to, to minimize uh, bad things happening when they're speaking? Okay. So one of I mentioned already is confirm and reconfirm all of your logistics, right? Make sure you have that written agreement so that you're not finding out that they're canceling an engagement because they don't have enough people like the night before, okay? So I recommend that, and we give our clients what's called a speaker intake form. So where you're taking care of, you're going through, you're making sure that you know all of the logistics. Some of the things you really need to know ahead of time. Number one, how is your room set up, right? The way you do not want your room set up, if at all possible, is theater style. What I mean by that is in rows, like you see at most theaters, okay? Mm -hmm. That will kill the energy of a presentation faster than anything, okay? So if it's a small group, having them in a horseshoe, a semicircle, something like that, where you can really move into the group, get close to the group, make that personal contact, that's going to make the biggest difference. If it's a larger room where, for example, they're at round tables, those round tables can be scattered throughout the room so that you can actually move around the room freely. Never stand behind a lectern. Okay? Never be tethered to a microphone behind a lectern. Any physical barrier between you and your audience is an emotional barrier for them connecting with you. So make sure that you confirm your logistics. You know how your room is set up. You know if they're going to serve a meal and when that meal is going to be served. Okay? I can remember a time where I was doing a high-impact speech, which is a personal speech versus a business development speech. It starts with a very personal story with a high-impact beginning. And as I was starting my story, that's when the waiters decided to pick up the salad plates and deliver the main meal. And they were walking in front of me, kind of like scooting down in front of me, that kind of thing, right, as they were delivering the meal. doesn't work. Make sure that's taken care of ahead of time. When is the meal going to be served and when will I be introduced? I want the, the meal to be served. I'll st I don't mind the people, folks eating while I talk to them. I just don't want waiters either arriving with dinner or, for God's sake, trade. I had one room where... As I was making my offer, they delivered trays, big silver trays of chocolate to a room of 60 women. 
I might be a pretty good speaker, Judy, but I can't compete with 60 women in trays of chocolate. Ah, I wish I was there. (laughs) (laughs) So just make sure you have all of your logistics confirmed and reconfirmed, and then be ready to be flexible because things change. That they do. Sometimes um, I've shown up and somebody else was speaking that had more people sign up and they switched rooms and I was wound up having a much smaller room and I was anticipating a bigger room for flip charts and all. And Yeah, you definitely have to be flexible when you're doing some speaking. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, there are some people who have done um, a fair amount of speaking, and they say they they really haven't gotten much business from it, so it's not a tactic that they've continued with. Why do you think that is? Every time somebody tells me that, I ask them one simple question. Tell me about your offer. And they say, what offer? I didn't make an offer. I'm like, well, how did you expect to get any business if you didn't ask for it? right? So they either 90% of the time didn't make an offer or the rest of the time they made an offer for something ongoingly, but they were uncomfortable or timid in their offer and so it didn't connect. Okay? So in order to generate business from speaking, you have to make an offer for your services in a low-risk way. That's why I often talk about the complimentary consultation. Okay, or demonstration if it's a product, right? Have to make an offer that's low risk, no obligation. If you don't make an offer, you can't expect to get any business. So how can can you give us some tips on what's the best way to make that offer? Absolutely. You want to make your offer towards the end of your presentation but you don't want it to be the last thing that you do. So typically what I'll do is I will time out my presentation. I'll know about what time I need to be making that offer. So say it's an hour presentation. So somewhere between quarter of to 10 of the hour, I want to be making my offer. Okay? So what I'll do is I'll summarize my main points, being careful not to use the word summary, Okay, because then they're packing up their bags in their head and going home. So I'll summarize my main points, giving them the keys, the things that I really want them to be taking away with them. Okay? Then I'll make my offer, and then I'll close either by taking questions, coaching audience members on an action they'll take, and or leaving them with a very short but inspirational story. So that's where you make the offer. Now, there are four key things you want your offer to do. Your goal is to move them from inspiration to action. So hopefully in the presentation they've been inspired by something and some things that you've said, by who you're being, if nothing else, right? And now you want to move them from inspiration to taking that action. You want to position your offer of the complimentary session. I'm going to really center that around the complimentary consultation or complimentary coaching session. 
You want to position your offer for those people who are really serious, who are committed to making a change. It's not a gift. It's not a giveaway. Okay? And you want to let them know that if you're offering that complimentary consultation, that you have three clear intentions for your time with them. That number one, in that consultation, they'll find out more about your services, more about how you can help, and see whether or not you can be a match for what they want and need. And they're looking at whether they're a match for you. You're looking at whether they're a match for you, for them, right? It's got to be both ways. Okay, so you want to set clear intentions for your time together. And you want to be sure to reassure them that there's no obligation. Okay, that it's critical to have them feel safe in taking this step, to signing up. And remember, they're going to sign up right then and there, not call me. I can't tell you how many people, well, call me if you're interested in my services. No. If they're inspired, right then and there, because possibility fades as soon as they walk out of that room, okay? Right. So you reassure them that there's no obligation, and then you pass around a form, or I use clipboards a lot of times to have people actually sign up for that complimentary session. So the words you use in that offer are really pretty important, but it's the beingness behind those words, how confident you are how inspiring you are, how much passion you show in your offer that make the biggest difference. Yeah, I've done offers where I've basically had people send me or give me their business cards where they've written on the back, consult. And that way I get all of their con contact information right on their card mm -hmm. and they've written something down on the card indicating their level of interest in it. Good. If it's just a matter of handing you their card, they won't even know what they're handing you their card for. But right. What, That's what why I want them to write on the back. And what they want makes it even firmer, right? Mm -hmm. And if I can, depending on the size of the group, if I pass around a clipboard, that has dates and times for a potential session and they're actually committing to a date and time, that makes the commitment even more interesting. Very good. Well, Denise, thank you so much for all of this great information. Um, can you give us a little bit about how you can help people if they're interested in becoming speakers? Absolutely. Um, not only am I a speaker coach, but I'm a business development coach. So there might be some people on the call that are kind of sort of interested in speaking, but they're not really sure, but they still want to grow their businesses. And so the idea being that if you found something inspiring in this presentation today, and you have a sense that I might be able to help you, the key, like in anything else, is to take action. Because if you walk away from hearing this teleclass today, but you don't take any further action for your business, then what's going to happen is it's all going to fade away, right? 87 to 93% of what you heard today is going to fade away within 
48 to 72 hours. But if you're somebody who's really serious about building and expanding that business, if you're really serious about moving forward, then consider doing a complimentary session with me. And I just want to reiterate, I've told you a little bit earlier, but the purpose of the complimentary session is so that you can experience my kind of business development coaching firsthand and see what kind of impact it can have on you, your business, and your bottom line. And you can check me out. You can see if I'm the right coach for you. And I'm going to check you out because I want to make sure you're the right kind of client for me to help. It's free. We'll do it over the phone. And there isn't any obligation. But I am looking for those people who are really serious about building and expanding their businesses, and they're ready, truly ready to do the work. So if that's you, all you need to do is go to denisehedges.com, Denise Hedges, spelled easily, H-E-D-G-E-S.com. There's a contact me form there, you, or you can send me an email, denise at denisehedges.com and say, I was on the Skull Bites call, and I'd like a complimentary session. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you again. This is really terrific, and I really appreciate your taking your time to um, tell us all about how to grow our speaking practices and develop our businesses. That was really, really valuable information. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me to be here. And if you guys can't tell, I love teaching this. I love marketing, speaking, business development almost as much as I love coaching. And if there's any way that I can help you, even if you just have a question about something you've heard today, please don't hesitate to reach out. Right. Just by listening to your offer at the end here gives people great information on how they can do their own offer. Absolutely. So for next month, our Skill Bite show will be on February 15th, again from 1 to 2 Eastern. Our guest will be Leonard Morley, who is the founder of MX4 LLC and a nationally recognized expert for digital marketing. Len is going to explain how to exploit pay-per-click to generate more and better quality leads and specifically what you need to avoid in order to not get the poor results that a lot of people are experiencing. Make sure that you get good results by coming and listening to Len Morley on February 15th, 2017. Thanks again, Denise. Thank you for having me. 